You are now tuned in to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. In America, the capitalist system not only makes the people stupid, but keeps them arrogant in their stupidity. This stupidity in the country, this calculated stupidity, affects the African masses more because they read even less than the others. And they need to read more. Our people suffer because they lack knowledge. At this stage of human development, one of the best ways to acquire knowledge indirectly is through reading. Yo, I'm reading this new book, man. Yo, this shit is so deep, yo. Shit got my mind thinking about a whole new other format, man. You know what I'm saying? Fuck a book, man. The book is fucking your head up, man. Yo, when's the last time you read anything, man? Never, motherfucker. Why won't he play throwing? Just act retarded. Cause when you grow single parent poor, that's your place. Don't read too many books, sag your jeans through your face. Chat shit, act thick, practice your backflip. Fuck your motherfucking ass out for the cameras. Provide the entertainment for your coachable betters. Men of letters think we could only be smart if they let us. No, knowledge ain't for punks, they market it like it is. Cause who the fuck wants to be cotton from fresh prints? But geeks design the systems, the visions, the politicians, Malthus and the Smiths. We're living in their vision, so knowledge is power. Could devour on cowards and showered you with propaganda each and every hour That's why Malcolm never died, it's just another tug on the road A symbol over the globe, cause did you know? The most rebellious thing you can do is get educated Forget what they told you in school, get educated I ain't saying play by the rules, get educated Get educated, get educated, get educated Break the chains of their enslavement, get educated Even if you're on the pavement, get educated What a weapon that your brain is, get educated Say, what's all this fuss about here? What's going on? This man and
Welcome. Hello. How y'all doing out there in the listening audience? This is Conscientization 101 Podcast. That's right. That's what you're listening to right now. Actually, you're listening to my voice and the chairman math. That's what you're actually listening to right now. Okay. But uh, I'm going to be your host, James Stone, on this edition. Ryan Solo, James Stone, senior editor of Conscientization 101 Magazine. Zari is not out on assignment. She's actually in the booth working the ones and twos. She's doing engineering as I speak right now. Thank you, Zari. I'm waving at her in the booth. She gave me the thumbs up. <laughs> All right. So, got a great show for you today. If you would like to ask the average uh, uh, African in the diaspora, black persons, if you were to ask them, are you free? Are you free? Are we free now? Well, chances are they walk up to you and say, with tremendous fervor, Hey, I'm free. What you talking about? Am I free? Slavery was back then long them time ago. What you mean we free? Oh, we got us a black president. All they had to do was not, you know, answer what black people problem was and then the white folks would elect them. Now we can do whatever white people do. So that means we was free. What? Yeah, I know. It kind of like boggles the mind, right? But when you hear something like that, you have to ask yourself, is the agency of an oppressed group to be judged by their ability to ape their oppressors? Hmm, that's a good question, right? Why is it that freedom isn't necessarily equal with what's called sovereignty in the minds and actions of Africans in the diaspora and the rest of the world? Well, 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 well. These are some of the questions Ezra Aron attempts to resolve in his books, Pawn Sovereignty, Sharpen Black Perspectives on Americanization, Africa, War, and Reparations, and Sovereign Evolution, Manifest Destiny from Civil Rights to Sovereign Rights. Oh yeah, so that's what Ezra Aron attempts to answer. And so on this episode of C101 Podcast, we are going to play excerpts from a dialogue we had with Ezra Aron concerning African sovereignty. Now let's just go a little bit into uh, Brother Ezra's VTOP. Ezra Harone holds a BS in business management from Hampton University, and he has lived and worked in West Africa. He is currently an adjunct professor at Delaware University and the author of the forthcoming book, The Sovereign Psyche. Psyche. All right, let's go ahead without further ado, because I'll end up rambling. Zari's in there sitting, looking at me. Go on, fool. Hurry up, hurry up, fool. I'm working these ones and twos, fool. Hurry up, hurry up. See, look at me rambling. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's go ahead and get into the show. Before we start this dialogue, I, I have to play a little something, something. A little bit of something, something that's going set, 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 you, set. You breathe, 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 breathe. Rat black slang, even crack cocaine. I 
ask myself, is it ever really worth it when it's all so surface and a nigga lack purpose? Why do I bother trying to figure out the meaning of a life so demeaning for a necklace I got my baby mama into Dolce and Gabbana, all her sisters in the Prada and they never buy books. Now all they babies rocking hundred dollar sneakers, having problems with their teachers, education's not a factor. And some rappers make it clear that nothing matters, the pursuit of stacking papers, breeding younger gun clappers. And now the teachers and the preachers and the pastors out here searching for solutions, let me say it ain't religion. It ain't money, politics, or economics, cause the black man's problem is a fucking lack of knowledge. Silence for the dead black race that measure life by the inches on a chrome set of spinners. And us niggas who done made a little money out here killing one another, bunch of goddamn dummies. It's not funny, it's the absolute truth. Half the though we spend on lawyers could be going to the youth. Got whippers, got bitches, got beef, got guns, got 99 problems that result from one. Not rap, not ebonics, not the ghetto water violence, cause the black man's problem is a fucking lack of knowledge. Civil rights are lauded as the highest form of human evolution of African people in the United States and synonymous with freedom. You know that our people rarely equate sovereignty with freedom. So could you lay out the premise as you do in your books about how unilateral mandates such as the Emancipation Proclamation and, you know, civil rights legislation, they, they shouldn't be equated with sovereignty. And what type of freedom can a subjected people expect with with those type of unilateral mandates? Mm -hmm. Well, first, let let me 
put my work in a particular context so that everyone is clear. In, in, in a primary sense, uh, my work is not intended to promote a sovereign movement for political independence. But what I do is I use the concept and consciousness of sovereignty as a political lens of interpretation. And that interpretation is meant to critique the historical past as well as the potential of the political future of Africans in America, the diaspora, and Africa in general. Uh, in regards to your question, I think it's important to understand that equality in political terms is not the same as equality in mathematical terms. In mathematical terms, you could look at the sum of two variables that prove to be identical in value. But in a political sense, you have to look at it much differently because, you know, what what are you actually attempting to define when you say equality? You know, because the word equality, you won't find the word democracy in the Constitution. So, you know, these, these, these terms are something that, you know, are vague in relation to how you actually apply them and what it actually looks like. You know, at one time we thought equality meant riding in the front of a bus. But I would argue that where you sit on the bus today, your location on the bus today can, in many respects, be cosmetic. Mm -hmm. When you consider the geopolitics and the wars and the webbings of wars and geopolitics that go into determining where the chromium for the bus comes from, where the rubber and the tires mm -hmm. come from, where the oil comes from. You know, so uh, equality is a vague kind of concept, you know, and it branches into integration. You know, and I look at them, you know, uh, like integration, it's like a vending machine. You go to the vending machine, you press F1, you get potato chips, you press D3, you get granola bars. And you get what you get with integration. You don't get sovereignty. And so if you want sovereign results, if you want sovereign manifestations, then you have to press those buttons for sovereignty, rather C3 or A1 in the vending machine. Because once you press the button, you're going to get what, what you ordered, what you got. And that's what it is. So it's important to understand the distinctions in these concepts. So like, when you think about it like that, kind of going back to what you said in, um, in your book, it's like um, in a pond sovereignty, you the type of freedom you get what you get, like you just said, in terms of that, it's kind of like the type of freedom you get is mandated by those who do the unilateral freeing of you, so to speak. So right in essence, right in essence, because integration is something as uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah said, freedom is not something that one group of people gives to another. And, you know, how do you define freedom? That, that's, that's another question. And I would argue that for a long period of time,
time, particularly during the time of enslavement, uh, Africans in America defined freedom as the absence of slavery. And I would argue that that definition really extended uh, way past into to the early 1900s. It's just simply the absence of freedom. Just glad not to be able to uh, uh, be whipped without consequence on a plantation and work for free. So, you know, freedom is a relative concept. Harriet Tubman said she could have freed more Africans had they known they'd been free, had they known they'd been enslaved. But the question is, was she really free? Well, in her day and times, under the conditions, looking at slavery as, 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 as freedom as the absence of slavery, she thought for sure she was free. She made the comment she had to look at her hands to see if they were real because the sun shone through the trees like gold, and she felt like she was in heaven. Well, I would argue if any of us were transposed back to the 1860s, and experience her condition, we would not define it <laughs> as heaven. We would look at it more as hell. Mm-hmm. So freedom is a relative concept. So it not only involves what you're measuring it from, the standpoint from which you're measuring it, whether it's the absence of slavery or whether it's the absence of colonialism, or if you look at it from a Euro-American context, uh, freedom for them has, has, has always meant sovereignty and nothing less. Than sovereignty. Anything less than sovereignty would have been considered a political defeat for them in their quest for quote-unquote freedom in fighting the British who were their own blood relatives. So the measure, you know, what are you measuring it against? As well as the barometer that you're using to determine freedom. Because uh, I would argue that uh, Africans in America today would say that they're free, but Certainly, we're not sovereign. Well, yeah, because freedom is defined as the ability to just do what you want to do, regardless of the structures that you're in. Right. So it's a relative concept. So the, the, the question is, and I address this in my works, how do you define freedom in a 21st century context? That that that's that's like a very like poignant like a very thought provoking question because even as you look at at the empire United States you know in disarray and mismanagement as it is now they're they're trying to reshape that question even in their even with their sovereignty you know and their power over us there's they're constantly reshaping what it is to be free from them as they see like an economy on the decline you know. Uh, going from you know an industrial base to just straight service industry and all this stuff like that, they're trying to redefine uh, uh, what it is to be a free American, so to speak, mm-hmm. an American. And then as they do that and push the standards lower for them, you know we going under the payment trying to. Well, I can walk down the street, so uh, you know I mean, couldn't you know it, it's it's like you said it's a re- it's a it's a relative term, but like you said. In in the search for freedom, they never there never was a rel, a relinquishing understanding that we are sovereign. You know what I'm saying? Where I, we've never really equated even what we call being free with a certain sense of sovereignty. So yeah, I, I, 
agree. And they that. also include their freedom as the freedom to oppress everybody else as well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah, because as I said, it's a it's a relative concept. Yeah. <laughs> in this in this world, in in these geopolitical jungles, uh, it's oftentimes that might makes right, and it has very little to do with uh, who, from a moral standpoint, is right. So, you know, we we, we see these things playing out, and we constantly see this ever-adjusting role that sovereignty plays in the world. But one thing is for sure is that the world operates on these various axes of sovereignty. And, you know, as someone once said, if you don't understand white supremacy, then everything else will confuse you. I would uh, respectfully extend that thought to say that if you don't understand sovereignty, then and that the world operates on these axes of sovereignty. If you don't understand that, then everything else is going to be confusing because uh, unsovereign people pay unsovereign consequences. And at some point in time, if you do not have sovereignty or you are unable to exercise a robust form of sovereignty, then you will certainly be, as history shows, subjugated to others who do. So I want to point to something you said in, in Pond Sovereignty when you said one of our greatest strengths ironically happens to be one, one of our greatest weaknesses. And that is the fact that we are Africans. In other words, we Afri- we being, in other words, being African has extreme disadvantages and limitation, limitations in terms of being equal among Europeans in this society. But the strength of being African is that we are native to the resource-richest continent on the earth of which all industrial developed nations rely upon in some way or for survival. It is altogether backwards of us to prioritize our attachment to Euro Americans above reproachment and economic relations with Africa. Since we are supposed to be both free and African, we should not allow non-Africans to confine or define the scope of our activities in Africa. The time has come to combine the benefits of being free with the advantages of being African instead of being spectators as foreign governments and multinational corporations heist tons of resources from our homeland. We should be involved in mutually integrated partnerships with Africa to assist in the production, management, and international distribution of resources. End quote. And, uh, you know, if one internalizes this analysis, it becomes it becomes clear that propagating a false national consciousness among African people the world over is not merely like, you know, like people just say, oh, it's just some mean spirit. And maybe, if, you know, if they take some cultural sensitivity training, you know, it'll, it'll be OK. But once you when you, if you internalize what you said, especially about the industrial nations living off the resource of Africa, you see, this is a this is a well methodically. This is a methodical planned out economic necessity in other words you know when you when you deal with consciousness of uh african people in the uh the normal black person in this society is made crazy and you know alienated from self and i don't mean in the marxist sense just from what they produce you know they're they're alienated from themselves you come out you say there's something wrong with you could you discuss the implications of this economic necessity you know to 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 falsify our african consciousness uh in regards 
in, in regards to the purpose of mainstream social institutions such as education, media, r- religious institutions, etc., and how they impede our sovereignty. What are their roles in this, this society? The needs and ec- that by economic necessity needs to falsify our consciousness. Okay. Well, you said a lot. Let me approach it this way. All right. There's an African proverb that says, you don't raise your children on borrowed food. And, you know, there are a lot of implications to that. But it's not just an economic... uh, 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 I don't just look at that economically in terms of borrowing, but it all boils down to what is authentically your own in terms of your self-identity, in terms of everything related to who you are as a people. You don't sustain yourself. You don't nourish yourself from borrowed cultures or from borrowed ideals because those are things that you don't own or control and they're not authentically yours. And by default, you place yourself in a position of weakness. And and as Africans, as, as the quote says in, in Porn Sovereignty, you know, that's a great part of our strength. But here in, in these Americas, it's a great weakness because here it is in 2015, we have people walking around with signs that say Black Lives Matter. And, and somehow it doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's like that's empowering. And, and, and it's disturbing because what type of relationship do you have with a society, with a government, with a system that it's necessary to walk around with a sign to say that. So it's, 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 it's very disturbing that it's being done, and then it's more disturbing that people don't understand that something like that should never occur. And so it's very problematic. So how do you get a person to, 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 who walks around with a sign like that, who has uh, that slogan as a Facebook uh, uh, picture, or they tweet it as part of their identity in a tweet, you know, Black Lives Matter, how do you get people to understand that you're involved, essentially, in an unprincipled relationship with something? And so, if, if your humanity has to be written on a placard, I'm I'm concerned about who you understand your self-identity to be in relation to others. And again, that's another aspect of being unsovereign that you pay consequences that someone at some point in time will take advantage of you. Exactly. So it's kind of funny you mentioned that. It reminds me of the signs back in the day. I know uh, Zari knows I don't those signs used to say like, uh, I am a man, you know, it's like, um, yeah, same thing. Yeah. I, I w- I've seen that one recently too. What? Are you, wow. Walking around with that sign now too. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> that, I, 
chances are, you know, when I see that sign, yeah, that just that's I, interesting. I, that I, they I, that I mean, back. I, why would you walk around with a? I mean, first, like you said, are who are you directing that to? Yeah, who are you talking and to? And then it's <laughs> and then and like and, and like you said, uh, Ezra, it's like they feel like that's empowering. You know, yeah, it's like I have become empowered to say that Black Lives Matter, and you know. Obviously, black lives don't matter to you when you have to wear a sign. If that's empowering, who are you directing that to? Because the historical record, sovereign lives matter and sovereign lives matter to sovereign people. And if you feel another group is sovereign, you saying your life, you trying to integrate into their sovereignty or something? I mean, it's just, you know. And so I, I, I guess, you know, when you look at like institutions such as like universities, television, all this stuff, it 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 seems like it plays that role to make 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 people think it is empowering to have a sign that says I am a man, you know, because well, because we're trained to believe that some kind of way we have to be have to get the graces from these other people in order to survive, because of course we can't create or produce for ourselves, so we have to be able to stay. And, and ingratiate ourselves into their society in order to make it. You know, right. I think that's where it comes from. And it's the same thing that we saw this weekend uh, with the remarching on Selma going across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the Selma psychology that exists I think is supportive of the uh, walking around with the sign uh, Black Lives Matter. And it, it's interesting that the two events are taking place simultaneously. You have the 50th anniversary of the original uh, Selma March, and people are still emotional about it, still singing about it, which would be fine on one hand if on the other that uh, you didn't have to walk around with a sign that says Black Lives Matter. So it, it speaks in volumes as to as much as things have changed, a lot of things still remain the same. Well, yeah, they contradict themselves. They talked about that, you know, on Black Agenda Report about how they, they contradict themselves. They celebrate the victories, but then the very next day somebody is talk, is shot, you know. So what victory was there? <laughs> right. So understanding the political economy that we live in was built on what Marx called the primitive accumulation of, of capital, which is the basis of our position, basically, and was was built on the imperial conquest of the world by Europeans, we begin to see why the ideological basis of the world has to be Europhilic and presented as universalism. And it goes to follow the opposite of that, that is that the world would be Afrophobic and African cultures presented as atavistic, you know, backwards. In a nutshell, the international hierarchy is that Africans are on the bottom and that in order to maintain the, um, the the imperial power's hegemony of our resources. And Kwame Nkrumah, he understood this fact about imperialism, and he called it neocolonialism, which is basically white power in a blackface. And the facade of sovereignty, but the same old imperial domination 
um, with the same structures. So, for instance, you know how in, in, in Africa, the, they, you know, they split Africa for their own benefit. And, and now they, they call them, quote unquote, nations, but they're really neo-colonies. Um, and we live, we live the same way, just within the borders of the United States. It's the same relationship. Um, and we have the same, like we just talked about, like identity problems. Um, could you break down the Obama phenomenon? Because he's like the apotheosis of, of neocolonialism in terms of when, when he said in your, where you quote in your book where he said he was rooted in the black community, but not limited by it. Um, you know, right. I think that kind of goes by, you know, what we were saying. Right. And I, I, the contrasting point I was making there was that um, even though he has European uh, origins as well, he didn't say that he's rooted in the white community. That's right. But That's right. Not limited by that. So by virtue of acknowledging that there's a limitation to being black, then he himself is making equality non-existent, existing by default, because you're saying you're not limited by what? Why is that necessary to make such a, a disclaimer? What, you know, I, I looked at it like, what did I do in history whereby to associate with me becomes a limitation and something that almost like a pox on society. So the, the, the selection of words that he chose to make whatever point he was trying to make, to make uh, I found it to, that to be offensive because uh, 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 there is nothing inherently wrong historically about being black. If anything, you would want to disassociate yourself from the party that uh, were part of the offending party. That's right. As That's opposed right. to the aggrieved party in, in history. But, you know, self-identity, once again, is, is something that we're still squabbling over, you know, in, in this 21st century. And, you know, it's, it's something that, as, I, as it relates to the other question about being the strength of who we are, um, you know, it's, it reminds me of a joke uh, with the Lone Ranger and Tonto. When the Lone Ranger and Tonto were surrounded by uh, Indians and the Lone Ranger felt threatened and he made the comment, Tonto, we surrounded. <laughs> Tonto said, we? If we not surrounded, I'm an Indian. <laughs> you know? yep. Right, he was in the, in the midst of his people. So I, I think that you know, we have to understand self-identity and utilize self-identity for the benefit of us in acknowledgement of our historical experience and leverage that in terms of how our historical experience can be beneficial uh, to the world at large, in, in, including Africa. Because uh, it, was, it was Carter G. Woodson who talked, in, talked about in, in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, that you know, uh, we have a certain gift to bring to the world. And, you know, I believe that to this day, but that gift, I don't believe, is based on our, quote-unquote, commonality with Europeans. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily that I'm saying the 
the contradictions with it, but to understand that we underwent a very distinct historical experience, and we should understand that it's not anything racist for us to critique the world differently and have different conclusions mm -hmm. about this world that we live in based on our historical experience. You know, to me, that just makes common sense. And we need institutions built to reflect that thinking. And I believe that once we're able to establish these, these types of institutions, these uh, uh, think tanks based on particular thought processes, that uh, those things are necessary to move Africans in America from point A to point B in conjunction with Africa and African sovereignties, uh, whereby Africa needs to uh, strengthen its sovereignty. Slaves and chains and whips Ain't ish change but still slaves and chains and whips The same ish, physically my peeps might be free But mentally they still got us under lock and key Life's scary, even though I got my peeps near me First hand I witnessed the Willie Lynch theory Black peeps bleach their skin trying to be lighter Subconsciously just trying to be whiter And when you think about it, you know it don't add up With whites in the sunlight trying to black up Feet tagged up, they have us reporting to the station Facing a very biased investigation Can't own your own Land on the plantation Slave masters keep pushing up the taxation Fam, we need to breeze out and build a black nation And stay unified like an orchestration You get me? Like Benson and Jensen The African names were too hard for them to mention I think and wonder how it all got done That's dumb, we had spears and they had shotguns And consciously I can't leave out the fact We had our own black peeps selling out the blacks All out attack, certain men weren't having that They gave their lives up defending the habitat Big shout out to Zulu man like Shaka Skin like Onyx, mind state much blacker They weren't slacking, weren't down with the chit-chatting Rather get killed than live under the whip cracking Forefathers must be turning in their graves To see their sons free but yet still enslaved The slaves today Go to the next question. So, and Kwame Nkrumah's conscientism, 
He states, all ideas without exception come to the mind from the external world and, and are composed exclusively from ideas which come into the mind from the external world through the senses. When you couple this with a statement that you made in Sovereign Evolution where you say, keep in mind, that political life for us did not begin with our introduction to America, since Africa had sovereign kingdoms and city-states prior to our enslavement. So for us to have minimal representation in any European government is not something to stick out our chest and boast about. When you realize that we have to have amnesia implanted on our consciousness, and, you know, it has, that has to occur naturally, um, we pretty much have no past and 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 we believe that our history began with slavery. We have been turned into people that basically, like I said, have to wait on other people's good graces in order to survive. So we become whatever they want us to be. So Negroes, you know, whatever, uh, African-Americans, <laughs> uh, the this goes on. In your opinion, what would it take for us to counter this misinformation, you know, and and try to um, get over what Dr. Amos Wilson called psychic violence in order to arrive at, you know, what our, what the, what our, website, what our website's goal is, like conscientization, to be able to, like you said earlier, have some action with this reflection. When we read your books, being able to take that and have the courage to take the action and realize that, we're not living in the better life now. There's a better <laughs> life that can be built. You yeah. know, what would it take for us to to develop that type of that type of understanding? Mm-hmm. Well, one one of the things that I do academically in my work is to uh, research the sovereign kingdoms and cultures of of Africa prior to the 1400s and you'll find that, well, well, first of all, one of the working definitions of sovereignty that I use comes from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, uh, which states that sovereignty is a modern notion of political authority that's expressed in uh, practical institutions and political thought. And because sovereignty is a modern notion of political authority, you're not going to pick up a history book and see the word sovereignty associated with the kingdoms of of Africa. But what the world defines as slavery today was fully actualized and practiced in Africa uh, prior to the 1400s just as much as any other place in the world. Now, did they use the term sovereignty? Were the governments described as sovereignty? No, you're not going to find that in history books. Uh, one of the things that I do and one of the things that I teach to my students is that you have to be able to critique African history through the lens of sovereignty. It's like uh, Ivan Van Sertema in his work, his research, and he talked about how African history has to be reconstructed in ways that are different than European history because European history is pretty much intact. But what happened is much of African history has been distorted or destroyed. And so how do you begin to pick up the pieces? 
and one of the uh, pivotal pivotal uh, historical characters that I always introduce my students to is Prince Abdul Rahman from the Kingdom of Futajalan, who was enslaved here in America, in Mississippi, for 40 years. But he came from a sovereign kingdom, Futajalan, where they were a highly structured social society with a complex government that had a constitution that uh, was governed in a very bureaucratic way. And long story short, uh, Prince Abdul Rahman was freed after the Sultan of Morocco interceded to uh, John, uh, John Quincy Adams to free Prince Abdul Rahman, and he was ultimately freed. He had an audience with uh, uh, Adams, in fact, two audiences with Adams, and he became one of the major campaign issues during that time and possibly one of the reasons why Adams wasn't elected to a second term. But there's a lot of details to the story. But my point is that that diplomatic intercession to free Prince Abdul Rahman and then Prince Abdul Rahman's subsequent return to Africa speaks to, and this happened, he returned in 1828. This speaks to the legitimate fact that Africa's sovereign structures were still being acknowledged at that time, even though America was still in the midst of slave trading, even though America was still in, in the midst of slavery itself. The slave trade had actually ceased by that time, but slavery still was in full effect. So it's important to understand how Africa politically was functioning, organized, and structured throughout this period of enslavement to give you an understanding that uh, people weren't swinging from trees or living in trees in the jungles and savage and uncivilized as uh, the Tarzan perceptions of Africa would make you believe. Certainly, colonialism was an extension of slavery, and uh, after the fall of, of Songhai, Africa, West Africa, tailspinned into a great demise. But it's important to understand that constitutional law, structured governments, organized society, uh, bureaucratic governments, these things were not introduced to Africans in Paris or in Rome or Berlin or Washington, D.C., they were introduced to Africans in Africa in places like Punta Jala. Ah, yeah. Let's <laughs> turn that we're going to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. There's an example of sacred songs. This is the jam. Again. <laughs> I know y'all like my singing. <laughs> oh yeah, Chairman Matt be jamming. All right, everybody. This is the end of this episode for a Conscientization 101 podcast. But don't worry. If you want to finish listening to the whole interview, 
All you have to do is go to conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com and subscribe today. Today. You know, this website is one of the resources that is very rare out there. You know, we have a lot of confusion going on and we're here, you know, to be able to bring people what we call conscientization. I know a lot of people may be, you know, like, man, why did that happen? Why did that shit happen? Why are these people, you know, doing this, uh, you know, overseas? Or why is it so much war or whatever? You know, we try to give everybody a basis to understand the world. And if you go to our website and look at the um, magazine structure and, and all of and our about page, we give you more detail about that, about the purpose of the site. And, you know, it's just important that we support and keep these kind of um, news outlets viable. We need independent media for African people and all oppressed people to be able to access. And we can't do this without your support. So, and I know y'all want us to be here. We want to be here. So go to the website, subscribe today, or at least look at the subscription benefits and consider, you know, subscribing, you know, when you get your next paycheck or whatever. So, you know, go there, look at the subscription benefits. We try to provide a lot um, to people because we know that y'all's, you know, y'all's time is precious, money is precious, it's been made precious. So, you know, we try to give y'all as much as we can. So, once you go there and you see the benefits, you'll notice that that gives you access to not only this interview in its entirety, but all of C101's interviews. You can also get access to all of our archives, so you can see every single article that was ever written. Um, and like I said, most importantly, you will be supporting 100% independent media. We don't get grants. We don't have no sugar daddies. We don't have no white left people that give us money. <laughs> None of that, okay? This is 100% funded by some Africans who want to make sure we conscientize our people and give it, and, and other oppressed people too. This, you know what I mean? It's, this is out here for the world, okay? But we're Africans, so that's the basis. Okay, have a nice day. Anyway, we would like to thank Ezra Aharon for taking the time to dialogue with us. And if you want to learn more about Ezra, you can go to his site. His site is EzraSpeaks.com, E-Z-R-A-H, as in hat, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. This episode has featured music from Makala from his album, Knowledge is Power, Mixtape, Volume 1. And right now you are listening to Chairman Mav. And he's jamming, as you can tell. If you don't think this is a jam, then you're not alive. I, I don't even know what, what's wrong with you if you don't think this is a jam. So anyways, you've heard his songs Paint, Sundown, Never, and Whistle from his album Paint. And you have heard Set You Free from Wise Intelligence. I'm going to say this. It's a tongue twister. The talented Timothy Taylor album. Thank you, Wise Intelligent. We're making that hard to say. And gonna be a change from Big Cakes' album, C, C, C. Okay, sorry, I'm jamming. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, 
at Conscient One. <laughs> That's C O N S C I E N One. We're also on Facebook at Conscientization 101. And if you don't know how to spell it by now, we're going to make you learn. We're going to make you learn that word. C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. That's going to be like your regular vocabulary. You know how people be like, let's chill. That's going to be the new slang, conscientization. It's like, I'm chilling and I'm getting conscientization. You don't know what that word means, then you ain't cool. You can't be invited to the party. Okay? And we, we on Instagram at C101Editors. C101Editors. So, until next time, go to the website, check us out, and always Chimaranga on the mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.